Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark Moore, and I'm here today with my illustrious co-host, Caroline Deason. How the hell are you, Caroline? Oh, Dylan, I'm so happy to be back here for season two premiere. Same question as always. Is there anything cool you've been watching on Netflix recently, Caroline? It's fine if there's not. <laughs> <laughs> no. You're just, in, you're just in show me grief. No. Yeah, what the fuck? That was so annoying. And I and I loved watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia whenever yeah. I wanted to. I was so excited about show me when I found it. And then like they just pulled the rug out from under me. But yeah. anyway, um, but no, I've just been listening to listening to podcasts because I've been missing our podcast. So nice. That's what I've been doing in my spare time. Lovely. Well, the movie that we are here to talk about this week is from the year 1994, directed by Quentin Tarantino. We're going to be talking about Pulp Fiction. We'll keep going. Go for it. No, Add I'm... the tremolo. No. Get a little tongue in there. <laughs> yeah. I was going to get to it. This is the lead up. <laughs> Sorry. I was doing the background noise for your introduction. <laughs> noise. Uh, before we get in too deep, I do want to issue a bit of a content warning as this movie does contain issues like rape, violence, and drug use. So that is probably going to come up in the conversation. So just heads up for that. So we are now at the part of the day where you're going to regret ever doing the podcast because it's time to look at how Netflix chooses to describe Pulp oh, Fiction. Oh man, I forgot that we did this. <laughs> no, no. These are fucking terrible. Oh God, lay it on me. I'm ready, but not. Okay, so this one's bad, but not the worst, I don't think. So the hover description is, all crime stories have a beginning, middle, and end. For two clueless hitmen at a diner, it's not the usual order. Oh my god. Oh, that's a pun? A diner pun? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's awful. It's a d- oh god, it's <laughs> meant to be w- like a diner pun talking about how the story is No, told I get it. I get it. I, under- I understand. No, I, I'm I just <laughs> breaking it down. But I just can't Not like for you. I'm just I'm just I'm just picturing how smug the person was when they came up with this pun and thought that, you know, this is the be all end all. They just sat up right in the middle of the night. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. That's it. Eureka. God. Okay. Also, well, if that's if this is the least bad. Also, clueless hitmen. They they I would yeah, say they're know, pretty competent at a what couple, they do. A couple couple bumbling oafs, you know? It's a we <laughs> played by Chris Farley and David Spade. David Spade. <laughs> when you click on the title, the description changes to this stylized crime caper weaves together stories featuring Here's where shit hits the fan. Oh. A burger-loving hitman, <laughs> his philosophical partner, and a washed-up boxer. Okay, so Vincent Vega is the burger-loving hitman? Right. The guy, Even though Jules is the one who takes the burger. Jules is the one the who eats the burger. And then offers it to Vincent, and he says, no thanks. Right, and also, when given the opportunity to eat a burger, Vincent orders a steak oh at the God. restaurant. <laughs> so I don't even... Have you even seen the movie? Have you even seen the movie? Uh, this person is piecing together the movie based on like an IMDb right something and memes. Right, I think. exactly. Or like, the, do you do you remember those like um 
they were really popular for a while i don't know if anybody still does them but they're, they're these cartoons with bunnies it's like pulp fiction in 30 seconds or whatever and it's all it's these bunny cartoons of pulp fiction and then all other movies okay sure yeah no they're really good but like <laughs> do you remember like before when we used to the internet was like going to cheeseburger.com or whatever right like yeah. you used to go to a bunch of different websites every day to see yeah. what was new on the internet whereas right. now you just have to go to twitter and you see everything that's new on the internet or right. whatever um so this was this was one of the things that i used to check it was angryalien.com and so there are these cartoon bunnies that in 30 seconds act out a whole bunch of different movies and i have watched many a horror movie this way so that i know the premise and don't actually have to watch it um but yeah so that's what i'm saying is this person has seen the angry alien um bunnies version of pulp fiction and decided to write a fucking synopsis on it good lord all right let's keep it going wait what's the last uh what's the last there are only two Oh, okay. Oh, good. Oh, God. <laughs> Thank Christ. Oh, I was like, I was ready to pounce. And the genres this movie belongs to, according to Netflix, are dramas. Sure. Okay. Crime dramas. Yeah. Independent dramas and thrillers. Apparently Not comedy, comedy doesn't really? make the list anywhere. Is there like a, is it was one of the genres like black comedy or yeah, something? Yeah, dark comedy, black comedy. That's really? definitely and in there. And this isn't on there? Yeah. <laughs> they usually love to sprinkle like whatever the fuck on these things and yeah, usually understated but yeah uh, that's the yeah, that's understated the oh my god i forgot oh it's <laughs> everything's been so understated long. it's been so long this one is not understated, no, this is no, understated. <laughs> and the moods it assigns are exciting offbeat violent and suspenseful sure yeah. cool yeah all right so first question caroline mm. and probably the only question i don't know <laughs> who knows it's gonna go off the rails so Pulp Fiction was your request? Yes. So why Pulp Fiction? So Pulp Fiction, uh, so we were talking on Twitter with our friend Mike Grasso, who has a fantastic, has two fantastic podcasts, um, Hold My Order, Terrible Dresser, and... The whole shebang, the minute-by-minute minute Velvet Goldmine podcast. Right. Two two incredible, incredible uh, adventures that uh, I have absolutely zero um, cultural reference for. And so we were talking about how he was in, did he say first year university when Pulp Fiction came out? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And we, we came back saying we were in kindergarten when <laughs> Pulp Fiction came out. So uh, I grew up knowing that Pulp Fiction was this cultural icon. It wasn't, there was never a time where I thought that Pulp Fiction was a an indie film. That didn't make sense to me because by the time I was old enough to know what it was, it seemed like one of the biggest movies of all time. Um, and I only ended up watching it probably in grade 10 grade nine grade 10 okay and i remember renting it thinking that i wanted to see what the all the fuss was about and i watched it with our friend danielle and uh yeah we really liked it and it was one of those movies that we were like okay like yeah i understand why people are really into it but it's also another, one of those movies that kind of sticks with you for a really long time and another one of these great movies that now i understand so many references from the simpsons that i didn't get right. before <laughs> um but yeah, and I've seen it a few times since then. But I actually, I was thinking today, because I was rewatching it today, and I was thinking that I actually haven't sat down and watched Pulp Fiction in probably 10 years, like a mm -hmm. really long time. And it was really nice going back and revisiting it. So I knew I loved it. I knew that it was my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. Because if you'll remember, one time I on our podcast, I go off on how much I dislike Quentin Tarantino as a person. Right. And some of his films that I've seen, I think are bollocks. But this one I really Whoa. love. Shots fired. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm I'm using the big words, the big boy words over here, bollocks. But yeah, Pulp Fiction was the first Quentin Tarantino movie I saw, and it remains my favorite. Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear that. Were you surprised that I wanted to do Pulp Fiction? 
I don't know. It, like the idea of doing this movie is actually kind of intimidating a little bit because I feel like it has this, like it's almost got this like untouchable sort of quality to it. Like it's kind of up there with like Godfather, Godfather and yeah. Shawshank Redemption and Pulp Fiction are kind of like these inarguable great movies that like which is really funny because that's I, th- I feel like you have to be of our generation to think that because i don't even think that if if mike grasso were here and we asked him if he put the godfather and pulp fiction on the same pedestal i'd be i'd be interested to know mike add us on twitter when you listen to this and tell us if you think that the godfather and pulp fiction are in the same sphere because i understand what dylan's saying when i was growing up it did seem like there are some fantastic movies and godfather and pulp fiction did you say Shawshank? Was that yeah. another one that you said? Yeah. Just these, these like, are all... untouchably great movies. And I think right. that, I mean, that's probably just growing up with IMDb and like knowing what the 250 exactly. best movies of all time are. Yeah, which is probably why, another reason I wanted to see it in high school. I remember joining IMDb and I remember being like active on the like message boards or whatever oh, really? at IMDb. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and watching a whole lot of movies because it was on that list and that was one of them for sure. Cool. My relationship with Pulp Fiction has been a little bit more uh, dynamic, I guess we could say. Because I remember the first time I watched it was uh, in the summer between grade eight and grade nine. Because I, I specifically remember, but I remember talking to somebody about it and having like my shitty bleached hair that I had for grade eight grad. Holy shit, I forgot about the bleached hair, Dylan. Yeah. yeah. With the spikes. Yes. Nice. You're welcome. Frosted tips. Yeah. It was it was 2000. Everyone yeah. was doing that. Was, you had to. You had to do it. It's a rite of passage. <laughs> um. So anyway, I, I saw it and it was just like, it felt so like naughty to be watching it like it was really interesting it was like this really transgressive thing to be watching it because it was this movie that was just like filled with like f-words and n-words and everything and Mm. i think it was probably actually the first time i heard the n-word really totally honest yeah you never watched um uh uh don't be a menace in south central no i can't say it really oh okay that was my first uh movie that i was like can't tell my mom i watched this oh okay (laughs) But yeah, I remember, I specifically remember watching it and like, just being like, yep, bam, this is my favorite movie ever. And I think- uh, you're one of those guys. In retrospect, that it was just like, because it felt like so transgressive. Of I was course. Like, I was like, it's violent, it's sweary. Yeah. Like, they talk about, they talk about sex and stuff and like- That was me with, with Fight Club, I think. Right. And it was, oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, it's, Club it's violent <laughs> and sexy and philosophical and really deep. <laughs> I still love Fight Club, though. No, I, I love Fight Club too. I'm, okay, I'm, and we've talked ad, ad nauseum about my love for Fight Club. But it's just that kind of thing where you're you're of a certain age and you're like, this is this is real art. You know yeah. what I mean? Like this you, is this it. Is, yeah, this exactly. This is, is the it. pinnacle. This is the peak. Yeah. Everything else is garbage from here. Exactly. Um. So then the last time I watched it was about four years ago. Uh, was I went to a, a double feature with my brother-in-law, and we saw Reservoir Dogs and then Pulp Fiction. Oh, nice. On the big screen. Which, before going in, I was like, this is going to be freaking awesome. You get this little, like, amuse-bouche with Reservoir Dogs, and then you watch Pulp Fiction. And I had never loved Reservoir Dogs more than I did watching it. And then I remembered being really disappointed (gasps) by Pulp Fiction. Oh, no. So, coming in and doing this movie with you, I was ready to be like, I'm going to be the guy who's like, Pulp Fiction's not even that good. And I remember getting into a debate with somebody at work, like... About a month ago, we were talking about like the most overrated movies of all time. Yeah, and I was saying like uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas, and yes, uh, <laughs> and other people were throwing out like other you know like Avatar and that sort of thing, and I was like, yeah, Pulp Fiction, and everyone just like just scorn and daggers thrown my way for yeah. blaspheming against this movie, 
which goes back to like I said, you know, I think that for a lot of people, it has this like untouchable, yeah, true, unquestionable status that like you can't even you can't talk shit about Pulp Fiction because it's like the best movie ever. That's really interesting. So recently, when we were talking about scheduling this podcast, you were like, "You like Pulp Fiction, right?" And I was like, in my mind, I was like, "Yeah, Dylan, remember I picked the movie?" But now I understand why you were asking that because you were trying to see what where I was coming from, like what my angle would be for the yeah. podcast, and. I, you know, it's season premiere for season two here. We've had a, a nice long <laughs> summer hiatus, um, so you probably don't remember. But one of my favorite things to do is to talk shit about the stuff I love. So uh, I love criticizing. I love being critical about the media that I love. So don't don't you worry about that. Fair Except enough. for Lord of the Rings, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I will d- defend Lord of the Rings to the death. For Condor. For Condor. Okay, so then watching it again this time, I was ready to just go in and be like, yep, I'm just like... Here's everything that sucks. Yeah, not even here's everything that sucks, but just I was so ready to be underwhelmed mm. that I had the opposite reaction where I was like, oh, yeah, this is really great. This right. is a really like tight, funny movie. Oh, I'm so glad. So it, I think I think it's largely contextual mm-hmm. that like because I just come off of like, oh, my God, Reservoir Dogs is like so good and I've never enjoyed it so much. And like, how long is Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs? I've never seen that one actually. Uh, I, it's not as long as Pulp Fiction, right? I don't think so. Because today I was looking up how long it was because I needed to budget like what my, you know, how long it would take me to watch it. It was it's three hours, and I was like, what? Like, because it, it goes by so quick. Yeah. So maybe you were just having, you know, you were just fatigued by the yeah. end. I mean, I've been sitting in a chair for a while yeah. and everything. Like, I, I did. I do not think a double feature is a good idea for Pulp Fiction, especially just ever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, or just ever. Yeah. I yeah. Agree. I mean, like watch a movie digest the movie exactly like you don't need to do two in a row unless you're marathoning the lord of the rings but i digress <laughs> go listen to that podcast so which, yeah, is, I, which is this podcast it's just another episode by the way go listen to that episode of us yes talking about lord I'll, of the include, rings. I'll include links in the notes don't worry it's okay i'm just trying to egg people on <laughs> all right so uh yeah so i i like i said i enjoyed it and i was glad to kind of like Good. Not not completely like refall back in love. Like it's not jumping to the number one on my list or anything like right. that. But I did enjoy it more than I expected to. And I think that it benefited from lowered expectations a little bit. Yeah. Um. So before we started recording, we were looking at the list of what is ostensibly the most popular films on Canadian Netflix. One of my favorite things to do is kind of, you know, needle people in the ribs about why Quentin Tarantino is so great you know what I mean like I really I have I'm extremely vocal about not liking Quentin Tarantino as a person and him having a lot of troubles uh in my mind as a director like and we will I'm sure get into this about uh Pulp Fiction as I said I hadn't watched this movie in probably about 10 years and it was worse than I remembered when it came to the things that I hate about it so uh that was fun but um it's one of those movies that and it and I'm not the first person to say this, but it's one of those movies that gets incredible accolades for pandering. And to his credit, he's the first person to admit that it is pastiche, like it is as pandering as possible to all of the things he loves about movies. And when you take kind of like a greatest hits of movies, it's going to be broadly popular. It also had a wonderful, especially for its time, ad campaign and, you know, media campaign. Um, So it was just, it was cool, right? Like it was seen as cool. And that's why it got really famous really quickly. And that's why people like you and I, six, how much? Yeah, six years later, we're still like, oh, what's this movie? We have to see this movie. Thinking about that now, like what's a movie that came out in 2010? I can't, like off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that came out in 2010. But I also can't think of anything that came out in the last six years that I'm like, oh, this will have the staying power of 
a Pulp Fiction or a Godfather. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It would all be something that, you know, maybe my own opinion, it'll have the staying power. But there's not the same... Like, people who are my age... Sorry, people who were my age now that I was then... Hmm, that's a good sentence. Um, <laughs> I wonder what movie they're like, oh, what is this movie that came out a few years ago that I have to see because it's the greatest movie ever. So what I'm getting at is that Quentin Tarantino has had an amazing career of happenstance and <laughs> of like luck that I, 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 I don't understand why he's as famous as he is because I don't think he's as fantastic as people think he is. I think that he's extremely lucky that he had a fantastic cast and it was a good idea and it was a good story. He also co-wrote the story. It wasn't all just him. And every movie I've seen after that... Okay, so full disclosure, these are the movies I've seen by Quentin Tarantino. I've seen this one, Kill Bill 1 and 2, Inglorious Bastards, and I think that's it. And the reason that I am so vocal about my dislike for Quentin Tarantino is I feel like that's all I needed to see before I understood that, hmm, this guy is kind of like a one-trick pony in certain things, but for some reason everybody wants to work with him because he's got a lot of cool cachet. And then so he gets these gigantic names to go along with these, and he's to use an overused word, extremely problematic in a lot of ways. I haven't seen Reservoir Dogs, so I don't know what its politics are like, but there are a lot of things in Pulp Fiction that do not need to be there for any reason other than what I can assume is his own kind of being very cavalier with his power as a director. Fair enough. Okay, and that's actually the first thing that I have in my notes that I wanted to to, to talk to you about. Yeah. Um, is that there is a lot in the movie that now watching it, like it, like I said, probably at the time when I saw it the first time, it felt very. I was just like, yeah, man, like he's just he's just fucking going for he's, it, like he's he, pushing the boundaries, right? Exactly. And now I'm like, oh well, he was an adult at the time, and he has some responsibilities as somebody who's putting art out into the world. So and 1994 was not that long ago. Like we can't kind of brush it over as being like what well, was a different time <laughs> well that's like right but that's that's where that's the conversation that i'm interested in having right now because there's a lot going on that it's just kind of like you know what is just him being irresponsible what is i mean i think it's important to what talk is him about... being a racist prick yeah. right okay. <laughs> so i mean like right away when uh when honey bunny and pumpkin are talking and they're talking about like the kinds of people who own grocery stores yeah. and they're like dropping racial slurs. Okay, thank you for saying this. Right. Because so my, as I said, it's been a long time since I watched this movie, but one of my favorite things to talk about is the scene where Quentin Tarantino has put himself in his own fucking movie and he's a character who gets to say the N-word to Samuel L. Jackson. Right. That's like, you know, my thing that I'm kind of like, hmm, what the fuck do you think about this Quentin Tarantino fanboys? Um, but in rewatching it today, I was like, holy shit, there's a lot more in this than when it comes to like, uh, slurs than just that part. I forgot about that whole part of the beginning where it's about like six different races that are slurred against just in, uh, you know, a single dialogue. Yeah. And there are some where it's kind of like, um, like when Christopher Walken is doing the speech about like what he went through where I'm just kind of like, I can... I have I have an easier time swallowing that yes. because like in terms of the the propaganda involved in of convincing course, somebody course. to go to war, you know, you yeah. you dehumanize your enemy as much as possible and you adopt these slurs and everything and yeah. I mean, that's kind of And 
I, like, I have an easier time with that, but then you I know, was thinking have... the same thing because I did my my MA thesis on uh, a book about the Vietnam War, where uh, it's called Dispatches by Michael Hare, and it's fantastic. And he passed away this year, and it broke my heart. But anyway, um, so Michael Hare was a, a journalist for Esquire magazine, and he was over there with the Marines, dispatching back to Esquire magazine just what would go on in day to day things. He had no reason to censor himself or the Marines, and often he didn't. There was more racism in um, Christopher Walken's, you know, 40-second speech than there was in the entire book of Dispatches. So on one hand, obviously, yes, I realize that this was how, this was regular, you know? You see it in Forrest Gump as well, right? Like, this was the normal parlance given to them. They did not care that it was racist. It wasn't, it probably wasn't even thought of as racist. And of course, in the movie, that's in like 1972 or whatever, right? Like we're talking about another 20 years earlier. But that in combination with everything else that's going on in the movie right. is difficult for me to think of as being Well, it's right not off the incidental. bat. Like it's the first character that you hear speak in yeah. the movie like goes off about, uh, you know, he's stereotyping Jewish <laughs> yeah. uh, people. And and yeah, I mean, he's throwing out these, these slurs and everything. Yep. So I just, I mean, since I was seven in 1994, like, I don't mm -hmm. know what the needle was and, and, like, how much it's moved in terms of whatever, but, like, that has to not... Well, that's the thing is, like, I'm not saying that nobody can use slurs because characters, some characters are shitty people and they will use slurs, just like some characters will rape and some characters will kill and they're shitty people, right? But it's just really difficult for me to 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 look at everything in this movie... And especially when he puts himself in his movie and lets himself say the N-word to a black man like Samuel L. Jackson, it's just really difficult for me to not think like this is kind of a power trip and also a like I'm pushing the envelope for the sake of pushing the envelope. Yeah. And this happens in Inglorious Bastards too. I have a big problem with that movie and how the only people that survive at the end are the non-Jews. Like, <laughs> wait, this is a, a killing Hitler fantasy and all the Jews die anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just like a, a weird thing with race <laughs> that I don't think... I don't... I'm not saying that he's... No, I am. I'm, I'm saying that he's pretty dumb. And I think he's... Like, I think visually, he makes a lot of, you know, amazing things. He creates a lot of things. But I do think that he's kind of surrounded by yes people in his life that have never uh, questioned what he's doing. So, anyway, that's... That's we'll get into that later, I'm sure. Yeah. The one that for me that I'm sure I'm sure I felt differently the first time I heard it than than afterwards was when Butch and, and Fabian afterwards when he's like in the shower. And oh he, yeah, the Mongoloid part. Yeah, yeah that was another like, one. And yeah. he like calls her the Arsler and everything, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and then he does the impression, and I was mm -hmm. like, man, like I would have thought that was hilarious exactly, the yeah. first time that I saw it, and, and now I'm just so uncomfortable watching it. Did you notice that the the subtitles? when he was speaking in that voice, it put it as Mongoloid voice in the subtitles. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, boy. I was like, ooh. <laughs> and what, what should you do there, though? Like, if you're trying to express that, I, that honestly, somebody's taking on, like, doing the mannerisms of a person with a developmental disability. Honestly, I would put exaggerated voice because you just said the R word in the, like, the R slur, the, the sentence before. Anybody who understands is going to know what's going well, on. Well, I suppose you've got the visual cues as well. And yeah. not to mention in the next line, Fabian says, I hate that Mongoloid voice. But, like, the person who wrote the subtitles didn't have to put that in. Anyway, yeah, so that's another <laughs> thing. But, okay, like, that, granted, I remember being a camp counselor and, like, training myself to stop saying the R slur right. and replacing it with ridiculous because that was normal for us, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not trying to equate them, like, the N word and the R word because that was until 
like mid 2000s and I still have friends who say it so like that's not uh not this on the same level at in 1994 I don't think but yeah so like when you go looking for it there's a whole hell of a lot but I don't think you have to go looking for it is the thing yeah, yeah that's fascinating I never really thought about it as a as a power trip thing before with Oh, I, mean, I see that for sure. Because he's not a good actor, right? And so you see it in his face. Right. Like he's just like reveling in this this chance. He's just swimming in it. Oh, yeah. God. And like, yeah, the, just the ego on this guy. It's as big as his chin. It's awful. <laughs> just <laughs> just so excited to get away with it. Yeah, exa- that's what I'm saying, honestly. And I haven't seen Django Unchained. Right. But everything I've heard of it sounds very similar where it's like, I, you know, I'm getting away with this, right? And he's got people like Leonardo DiCaprio on board. So he's untouchable. Mm-hmm. We keep validating it, though. Like we keep. I know that's the thing. Yeah, uh, like we hold this movie up on this incredibly high pedestal. I know that's why I have really. That's that's why I was really excited to talk about it because I I really like Pulp Fiction and one of the things that so Pulp Fiction enabled him in many ways to go on and make all these other movies that I'm not 100 percent sure he has learned good lessons through. <laughs> right, but um, one of the things that is undeniable about Tarantino and I will fight anybody who wants to deny it, but uh, visually, he knows what he's doing. And there's that whole you know, mythos of him working in a video store, and so everything is a pastiche of things that he grew up watching, and he's very vocal about that. Like He'll tell you exactly which scene he's stolen this from, right? From which movie. Um, watching Pulp Fiction today versus watching Inglorious Bastards, which is also like a visually extremely stunning movie. Kill Bill, same, extremely visually stunning movies. Pulp Fiction has this raw grittiness that is so indicative of kind of early 90s movies, but probably done on purpose as well to have to be raw in, in a way that Inglourious Bastards is not. Yeah, to be pulpy, right? Exactly, to be pulpy. Good call, yeah. That I think is so much better than the later stuff. And it's maybe because I grew up inundated with his other movies that now it's become, they've become a parody of themselves where there's like a special quentin tarantino shade of blood do you know what i mean like it's like expected that it's going to be this particular red and it's going to be this much on the screen and all this other stuff and it was just really nice kind of seeing this old older style that being reminded that there used to be something a little more lo-fi i guess that he was interested in that i think comes off better in uh for his stories yeah maybe a bit more authentic yeah definitely i think for sure so what do you like about pulp fiction since you said like since you, know, you do like you genuinely like it but it's deeply problematic yeah no since i've tirade out about it for a while oh I, um okay so as a script i think it's got some issues obviously not just about the the language choice but there are some things that are difficult for me to look at now and think like is this cheesy to me because i've seen it parodied a million times or is it legitimately cheesy and not super well written but as an actual story it's a fantastic story I love the non-linearity to it. It's got some fantastic characters. One of our friends, Dootsy, on Twitter, she said, so you're just going to talk about Fabienne the whole time, right? <laughs> yeah. and she, just, she read my mind. Fabienne's my favorite Quentin Tarantino woman. I'm one of my favorite female characters of all time. But in rewatching it today, I was like, man, most of the women in this movie, if not all of them, are fucking awesome. And I don't know why in my head it stuck out as being like, oh, they all kind of suck except for Fabienne. She's like the exception. But I... You know, the whole stupid strong female character thing aside, because I think that that's a um, red herring when we're looking for strong female characters. Female characters should be complex, not strong. 
necessarily. Strong, strength can be one of the things that they exhibit. But I think they're all really cool. Um, I never really thought of Mia Wallace as being as cool as I did today. Uh, and when I say cool, I mean multidimensional. And not just... Because cool actually is the wrong word. I don't mean cool. Because cool is what we get... When a character is, when a woman character is cool, what we get is Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mia Wallace is... She's got a past. She's got this like fraught future that we're not sure about what's going to happen with her and she makes her own decisions and it's interesting and she's problematic and flawed and but still cool in a way that is more authentic than the ooh cool girl character right, right. and they all are i love um uh the wolf's niece right is his niece is his niece or is it just like is his daughter is it his daughter at the end, the one who is working at the... Um, oh, I, I didn't think there was any kind of connection. I thought he was just like... He was just the kind of guy who understands who this that person. everybody has a place. And like, even though he's like dressed to the nines in a suit, he's still like, hey, you did a great job. I'm taking you out to dinner. Oh, I see. Yeah. That was Maybe, how I yeah. felt about it. Did you know that, that that woman is the same... Do you know, Do you remember It's Pat? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. just looking her up the other day because I was like, man, she's so good in Pulp Fiction. What else has she done? And then <laughs> fucking she's a like yeah. SNL alumna. Alumna. Um, but yeah, no, everybody's good. Uh, the cab driver who I remember, I remember being like, this cab driver is bullshit. When I was, you know, 10 years ago, I was like, this is just a, like a, a one dimensional sex symbol, you know, ridiculous. And obviously, yes, she's supposed to be like, and you know, sexy and strange. But today I noticed that Butch says, what are you, a weirdo or something? And the fact that he says that made me see her in a different light where it's like yeah she is a weirdo and that's okay like <laughs> she's allowed to be like obsessed with what it would feel like to kill a man that's pretty awesome actually um you know the fact that there's a lot that's unbelievable in this movie but the fact that she can you know be this gorgeous cab driver in LA and and feel safe enough to do that is pretty unbelievable i think <laughs> but uh you know she's a weirdo so maybe she's Well it's kind of cool she's like this cab driver who's probably like you know She's a cab driver, not even just in this city, but in like Quentin Tarantino's version of, of this city. She's probably seen some shit. Right. So she's probably, yeah, had these, yeah, she's got lots of time to sit around and think about, yeah. about life and ending it. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, yeah, so she was cool too. Yeah, every, and even um, Honey Bunny, who annoyed me so much the first time I watched it, um, I I had a, a more of a, more of a respect for this time around, for sure. I thought she was because at first I thought that she was just kind of going along with it for like because she was in a relationship with Tim Roth's character, Pumpkin. Pumpkin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then this time I was watching it and I was like, no, like she fucking loves robbing shit. <laughs> like this is, you know, this is her thing that she likes to do and wants to do. Yeah. She may not necessarily be like it seems like they've got a pretty good balance worked mm -hmm. out where like he's the one who's thinking about it. But like she's the like she's the one who gets it done yeah yeah right? yeah <laughs> like, and she also like was really jacked <laughs> about getting it done like she was you know yeah but it's in this cool like visual professional competent sort of way where sure. it's just like no this and, is and, her uh, calling like, yeah like we have i mean we see other people do it too i mean when uh when vince and jules talk about like okay let's get into character like she's yeah, got she's got this really like well honed crazy woman persona that yeah. she's able to just like slip into at the drop of a hat it's sure. amazing yeah no i really i i was glad to see that again and then also um patricia arquette's is patricia arquette right no is it patricia wait which arquette is it i don't i do not know I'm sorry. it's uh it's so his, vincent vega's drug dealer's wife yeah 
with all the piercings. Um, she really annoys me, and she annoys me still, but I'm okay with the fact that she is a character that is supposed to annoy me rather than being a character who's poorly written. Because now I look at her and I'm like, yeah, you are just one of those annoying people who likes to say things like, uh, it's a sex thing. It helps with fellatio. Because if if I met someone who said that to me in real life, I'd be like, oh, okay, like... <laughs> <laughs> I know what type of person you are immediately. You, you know, want people to see you in a certain way and have fun with that. But before I might have thought of that as being lazy writing. Now I'm like, no, there are people like that in real life who right. are like, hey, let's draw as much attention to me and my sexuality as possible. And I'm sorry, I, I am going to uh, kink shame you for that. <laughs> I'm not into that. I sound like I'm getting, giving a lot of credit to Tarantino and Avery. And I want to give them some credit for sure. And I'm not saying that they're bad at doing women characters, but I am saying there's obviously things that can be improved. I remember having a, an argument with my then boyfriend about how, and and keep in mind, I hadn't seen Pulp Fiction in a couple of years uh, because this was like midway through the decade that I hadn't watched Pulp Fiction, I guess. And we were talking about Pulp Fiction and he really likes Tarantino and he was talking about how he's really good at strong female characters. And I was like, no, like every character in that movie sucks except for Fabienne. And watching it today, I was like, wow, like w at what point did I say that? Why would I think that Fabienne was a strong female character? <laughs> like she is not a strong female character. She's, and and like I said, that is not the the apex that we should be shooting for. We should be shooting for complex female characters. And I do think that Fabienne is, I still love her and I still think she's complex, but she's not strong. The, <laughs> I love I love her to death. I love how she just seemingly lounges around waiting for her butch to come back and then gets oral sex and then, you know, says adorable things and then worries about him. But that's the opposite of a strong female character. Right. Like, she's not going out. She's not like, oh, I'll go back and get the watch. And then we have a cool thing of her going back to the apartment and shooting Vince Vega, right? Like, right. That's not uh, that's not what happens. She cowers in the corner when Butch throws a TV, which is completely reasonable. I really liked how Butch calms down and is like, it's not your fault and talks through this thing. And then the very next scene, he's in the car freaking out. That was right. really, it really endeared me to Butch. Butch is my favorite character and I knew he was. And I knew that that, the Butch Fabian story, or like it is, I guess the Butch story is my favorite like line in the like, right. linear progression in the movie. But today I, I, it was really nice to not be disappointed by my memory of that and be like, Butch is fucking awesome. And I love him. Talk about complicated characters. Yeah, I felt the same way too because we get we get the whole story about why he cares about the watch in the first place. Uh, you know, which we, by the way, like a six year old kid is not listening to most of that. <laughs> well, yeah. Like I, I hope his mom wrote it down and he could read it a little later in yeah. life. <laughs> well, I don't know. Like obviously, it had an impact on him because that's what he's thinking about. I mean, that's For the I think, story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> For the um, sake of the movie. But I mean, this guy who. I mean, for all intents and purposes, you'd expect him to be a fourth generation soldier. Like his great grandfather was a soldier. His grandfather was a soldier. His dad was a soldier. And now he's a boxer. So he's right. a different kind of Well, that's of because fighter. our generation has no great war, Dylan. I'm quoting Fight Club at you. But it's the same. You know what I mean? Like it's the same. They would have been the same age. Oh, yeah. I guess that's right? true. And yeah, so, he's a generation raised by women. Oh, there you go. And, Just and, like Fight Club. Yeah. And there's no generation. Like, there, sorry, there's no great war for them to go fight in. Right. So Butch you know he he obviously cares about his legacy although it's kind of cute that he makes he makes that line about like we're americans we don't care about our names but yeah like he's got 
that that scene in particular that you brought up really resonated with me because I know like I know for me like as a person that I could have better control of like my temper <laughs> than I do. Um, so to see him kind of go through that and I think allow himself to get too far and to like lose his temper in an inappropriate way that you know he she would not necessarily be wrong for getting herself out of that situation um but then for him to like claim the responsibility for like better ways to handle it Mm -hmm. and say like listen okay like i understand that i know that i repeated myself and never like denying the facts or anything but like saying he doesn't gaslight her yeah he just says okay no if it was that important to me i should have explicitly made it clear to you and then he goes off and i mean he's still angry and you know he's he's got some reason to be but yeah, like the way that he is able to kind of like navigate his way through his own emotions was really cool to me. And it, I was like, I want to be kind of more like you, but it also like you let it get way too out of hand before you, you kicked those skills into uh, into play. Right. And I mean, one would never assume that a boxer would be able to do that at all, even after he's lost his temper, right? So right. it's just a cool... Um, I was just... You reminded me that I wanted to look up what Fabian meant. Do you know what it means? Did you look it up? No, I have no idea. <laughs> it means bean grower. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I also just wanted to see what Esmeralda meant. What's Esmeralda? Uh, Esmeralda is the, the name of the, the, cab, the driver? cab driver who asks right. her Butch what... Um, and that's that's who Butch says our names don't mean yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just didn't remember her name. Yeah. Um, so uh, apparently it's just coming from uh, the... <clears throat> it means emerald in Spanish. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like Butch. And I I He's think best. partially because of what uh Dootsie, is that her name? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because of what she said I was really watching for Fabian. Right. And yeah. She's just, the best. Yeah, she's like almost a manic pixie dream girl. Right. Okay, so this is yes. Okay, thank you for saying this. As you as we were talking about it just now, I was about to say she's so twee and then I was like, wait a minute, that's not great. Like I actually hate Manic Pixie Dream Girls a lot. And right. there are movies that I completely avoid because i know that they are basically around a manic pixie dream girl the only reason that fabian maybe deviates from this is she might be the proto manic pixie dream girl but the only reason in my mind that she deviates from this is that we actually and this is not a good thing we don't know enough about her to be for her to be fascinating do you know what i mean all right she's just adorable in a way that is not as like twee and gimmicky as what i think of when i think of as manic pixie dream girls yeah i mean she does kind of yeah she she hits some of the markers though right like she thinks unconventionally she's like she talks about how like you know like a woman should have a pot <laughs> yeah but that that to me doesn't seem manic pixie dream girl to me manic pixie dream girl is um you know like my hair is pink and i listen to the shins and you know what i mean like there's like all these like like markers like that come from society they're outward things they're not like inward opinions they're i am marking myself with all of these pop culture things to describe my personality and i'm quirky and weird right she just seems like she's really in love with butch and she's um also another thing that in that i i'm the first to admit that i might have a skewed opinion of what a manic pixie dream girl is because i hate them and avoid them (laughs) if i can but in my mind a manic pixie dream girl is supposed to not care about things and their their kind of flightiness is what is attractive about them because the the guy who's in, into them is always way more emotional and way more um has a lot more gravitas than they do and to me fabian is vulnerable she says to butch you know are you are you gonna stay with me forever like are we um 
do you love me to me a manic pixie dream girl is categorized by her being like i don't know what i'm gonna do tomorrow you know like i could leave or whatever right like right. they're they're usually the ones who are seen as like oh shit i have to lock this person down because they could fly away where fabian seems a lot more like i'm worried about you i want she she overtly says are we going to be together forever right. do you know what i mean so yeah so she's got some of the markers but it's a lot more of a give and take and that's why maybe and it's not about like catching this fairy in a bottle yeah exactly yeah, yeah. and she's not yeah oh she's so cute like he wants blue specifically wants blueberry pancakes oh and then she has, any time of day is a good time for pie so good <laughs> So I love cute. her. She's so cute. She's so sweet. Yeah. I, yeah. And I love that she just like, she brings out this really like gentle side exactly. of Butch as well. Yeah. And like. And I love the way they talk to each other. It's so cute. Yeah. Like when, when she comes to the balcony and she's like, whose motorcycle is this? And he's like, it's a chopper baby. And then she comes down and he's like, so who's, she says again, whose motorcycle is this? And he says, it's a chopper baby. Again, like yeah. they, and then, whose chopper is this? Yeah. <laughs> Like they're just kind of like they have this this rhythm of overcoming their barriers of yeah. communication. And like I um, love how I love like their little like sexual discussion too. Like, will you give me oral pleasure? And then yeah. he says, Will you kiss it? Yeah. Like it's just No, it's my favorite. I mean yeah. it's a Tarantino movie. Like they could be a lot more explicit than they are. For sure. And that's yeah, and that's what I love that from the from the beginning, and that's why I always thought that Fabienne was the most like the strong female character or whatever. The fact that she like the fact that we never get to see oral period like on a on a woman and we still don't get to see it but we get to see the best possible part is her happy reaction right and she's like and it's not just oral because we're you know it's sexy times it's oral like between two people who really love each other it's so lovely and so and it's one of those things that it's a movie one of the first movies that i saw that would have had any sort of sexual content mm -hmm. and it's i've never seen that since then <laughs> Do you know what i mean like yeah. i've never seen two people who are in love with the man pleasuring the woman, you yeah. know, like that doesn't happen. So mm -hmm. that's, I have a really, really soft spot, spot in my heart for yeah. Butch and Fabian. I'm always just like, I, I find it really sweet when people are able to like be open about that sort of thing too, about just like, I'm going to say what I want yeah. and I'm going to ask. That's and... what makes her so cool. Yeah. And that's another thing that I'm thinking like, you know, Manic Pixie Dream Girls are, they're not forward, you know what I mean? Like they yeah. don't, they don't say what they want. They, yeah. it's kind of like a, I'm mysterious for the sake of being mysterious type <laughs> right. of thing, right? Like, bullshit. But anyway. Yeah. So speaking of names, I may be trying to pull too much from too little, but I was thinking about that line about like, we're American, our names don't mean anything. Mm -hmm. And thinking about just like how names get used in this movie. Because mm -hmm. there are a lot of characters that either have assumed names or don't have names right. that are given. And, like, and names are used a lot, like repeated a lot. Yeah. Like Marcellus Wallace is repeated 3,000 times. Right. So there are some that have like a tremendous amount of power, right. like Marcellus Wallace. Like everybody knows who Marcellus Wallace is. Right. And Mrs. Wallace, or you know, sometimes she's Mia, sometimes she's Mrs. Wallace. Yeah, that's a good And that's point. either when it's, you know, when it's Mia, you're talking about her as a person, you or say Mia. you're talking Mia. about her as a figure. Yeah, when you're talking about her as a figure, as like the person who's worth somebody getting thrown off a four-story balcony. Yeah. So that, that poor Simone fellow can't talk, right? Yeah. Um, you know, that's when she's Mrs. Wallace. Mm -hmm. um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but then there's there are, all the, there are all these characters that don't have, like, a given name and that they've kind of taken on this identity. Like, uh, the, the I'm sure there are more, but, like, Honey Bunny, mm -hmm. Pumpkin. That's uh, probably because of their, their criminals, right? Like, they don't want to say their first names. Yeah, I know in sure. Grand Theft Auto, you're, like, your characters get angry at each other if they say each other's first names when they're on a job. Fair enough. Yeah. I just always took it as like terms of endearment. That's just like what they call each other. But yeah, no, want, for it's sure. It's an identity thing too, though, when yeah. you're on a, on a job. That's good. And then Zed, mm -hmm. uh, which, I mean, it makes sense to not use your real name if that's you the kind of activity was, that you're participating in. Of course. In. You know what I was thinking today? 
Is Zed Canadian? I think it's just Z's a stupid name. <laughs> <laughs> but you know how uh, the uh, the key keychain yeah. has a Z on it, like has a Z on it. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute. I mean, it could be short for like Zedediah or something, though. So I don't want to just give go it too with much it. It's, he's Canadian. He's Canadian. So, yeah. No, I don't want that. <laughs> no, <laughs> just I don't. get, get him away. Awful. Or uh, I mean, the, the one that makes sense, I guess, because he's specifically. I don't want to say dehumanized because I don't want to be saying the wrong thing, but the gimp. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he's just known as the gimp, and then the wolf. Mm, that's one hundred percent dehumanizing. Yes, he's, right. Well, it's I, meant to be dehumanizing. Yes, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still like I'm like tiptoeing. That's okay. I don't know the uh, you know the I vernacular. Want, I don't want to say the wrong thing and like be disrespectful, right? Right. Be disrespectful um, to the rapists. Yes. <laughs> well, that okay. No, I know. So, I know what you're getting at. I know right? what you're getting. Okay. At. Then yeah, don't but, make me feel bad about it. But I'm the authority, and yes. So yeah, I just thought it was, it was it was interesting that like a lot of these like the main characters like you know all their names, but then for a lot of these other people, they just kind of like have these identities that I I I'm not even totally sure what it's for. Well, or, I think that's very pulpy though as well, yeah. right? Like it reminds me of um, have you ever played the video game Borderlands? Yeah, yeah. So you know how like every character in Borderlands has like a, a catchy name, and then they have a nickname underneath. Right. Like they're always introduced to something. Right. That's a very pulp type of right. genre thing. Um, like Vincent Vega is the coolest name ever <laughs> and he's related to Vic Vega from, yeah, from uh, Reservoir Dogs, Dogs right yep. yeah but you know not a flattering comparison <laughs> it's a that's a shitty human being right there oh I see okay cool is he the one who does the torture the ear yeah. yeah the stuck in the middle with you is yeah. it it's not um oh no yeah I remember because apparently uh Tarantino I don't know a lot about this movie because I never researched it like it wasn't a thing at the time when I was into it, it like the internet wasn't the same type of idea as it right. is now it wasn't I, I didn't go and pour over articles and articles and articles but in the past couple of days i've been reading about it and apparently tarantino offered that actor the role first and then yeah, michael madsen yeah mm-hmm, and he was busy working on a wyatt earp movie and has since regretted it to this day <laughs> okay. um and then also they, they're talking about how you know in this little in this sentence on wikipedia they were talking about how this uh reignited John Travolta's career and that's really funny to me to think of too because I grew up watching the Look Who's Talking movies right and thinking John Travolta was the shit right like (laughs) (laughs) like both of them John Travolta and Christy Alley both of them made me gay like in different ways (laughs) (laughs) um but so like to to think that like he had some sort of lull between like 1990 and 1994 that had to be reignited by Pulp Fiction is weird to me yeah because he in my mind he's just been like the actor since Greece right so yeah I love the idea of like you look at John Travolta you're like it reignited his career and then look what he's done with it right yeah unfortunate because then it, the next line in the Wikipedia is like and then he was in Face Off and I'm like okay like <laughs> yes the critically acclaimed movie it, people Off. like Face Off I like Face Off as well but I'm not saying like he didn't win the Oscar for it or anything yeah right? like, that's fair <laughs> usually when people I don't know Tarantino now is one of those movies that or one of those directors who gets well DiCaprio only won the Oscar recently, but you know what I mean. Like, he, like he's working with people like Leonardo DiCaprio, so you kind of put that in that same yeah. stratosphere. So, yeah, it's just weird seeing it all in retrospect. Yeah. I think it was a, a t- I want to say it was Taste of Cinema. I don't want to give credit to the wrong page, but uh, they did a list of like the movies that moved people's careers backwards, and John Travolta was on it for Battlefield Earth, and I was like, that was like two thousand one. <laughs> like you had a yeah. short window there. Like this big resurgence in '94, and then 2001 was just near. That's because of Scientology. Come at me, Scientologists. Please don't, please don't get this podcast sued. We have 
literally nothing to offer. <laughs> oh, I meant more so that I would like them to attack me on the street so I can pull some Kill Bill Jesus. type of stuff on them. <laughs> okay. yeah. um, what do you think about the whole... This is. I'm. I'm just going to talk about things that I like about this movie. Now. Yeah, go for it. Uh, and you have to sit there and listen. Um, you, the listeners, have to sit there and listen. You cannot fast forward or up. anything. Yeah, don't skip forward. 15 don't skip seconds. forward. Don't you dare skip forward like I do all the time on the podcast I listen to. But anyway, um, speaking of, I actually was thinking today. I was like, oh, I'll just fast forward the parts that you know I don't like of this movie. Huh, there were no parts that. It's so tight. Yeah, it's extremely tight extremely well paced which is my catchphrase about on this podcast about what i love so much because like i said i looked up how long it was and i was like three hours oh my god i can't you know i don't have three hours to give up to this movie but no it doesn't feel like three hours at all i was really happy to to see that it, it held up in that way um but what do you think so there's two fan theories that i remember growing up with uh after i had seen this movie and by growing up i mean i was like 14 when i saw this movie so my teenage years hearing about these there are two fan theories one of them is um awful and the other one is just fun where uh mia wallace's character who was in a pilot by the way uma thurman was 24 when she when when she was mia wallace really 24 like all right she still in my mind seems older than that in the in the role yeah um anyway so she had a pilot for fox 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 force five yeah Yeah. oh this is the the Kill Bill. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. What do you think about that? Like, obviously, it's not true, but like, what do you think about? Do you do you, do you like the fact that people have come up with these like fan theories where the Quentin Tarantino universe is one particular universe? And yeah, I mean, I I like it until people take it too seriously. seriously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I'm always up for a fun fan theory for sure. But right. I mean, this one's also like Quentin Tarantino has no problem with doing things that he just wants to of do. Of course, yeah. Right. Yeah. So no, he likes I mean, that, feeding that, into that as much as anybody. Yeah, I mean, so I don't even know if that's even like a fan theory or if it's just like a, somebody noticed. <laughs> right? Yeah, did, if right? he's actually doing that. Yeah, um, I really like. So this is that's when that's when I realized that I actually really like. So so sorry. Yeah, you should probably explain since we I interrupted you and. Oh, um, I I actually don't know it like super well or anything other than the fact that some people think that Kill Bill is the show that she would have made in Fox Force Five. Right. Like, so basically, like the five assassins in kill bill or the five female assassins are represented by the descriptions of the characters right. in fox force five yeah the demolitions yeah. expert and etc etc yeah um yeah uh but i was so gonna that's say, a terrible pilot because that took like two movies to i was go gonna through. say yeah like no wonder you didn't get picked up Jeez, six hours long um the special effects budget through the roof yeah my my favorite part of kill bill is when lucy Liu gets her head cut off at the top that was yeah uh no but what i was gonna say is that i never thought that mia wallace was like a bad character but she never it wasn't i wasn't like she didn't stick out to me the same way that fabian does in in that kind of like um this is a well-written woman character role i just kind of saw her more as like a prop before where it's like this is something that um we need this to move the plot along right vince needs to get in trouble and whatever right or worry about getting in trouble it's just a, a, a an interesting segue um and this time I really liked her. And part of the reason I really liked her is the way that she talks about Fox Force 5. She is 100% aware of how silly this is and how, and this is what people are like in LA, right? Like you go out there and you make a pilot and hopefully things go well. And if not, you just kind of do coke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is like, it, it's, I guess I needed more life experience to understand that this is a real person. Right. This isn't what I saw as kind of 
before a one-dimensional like oh what are women like type of thing like this is there are real people who are like this um and i really like the way that she talks about fox for five and i really like the way that she talks about i just really like how she interacts with vincent she is not taking any of his shit and she is totally in charge and totally using her position to get what she wants which is but honest about it at the same time exactly i believe that your boss my husband Yeah. yeah which by the way like that's so like such a weird thing like can you imagine like just being like i'm going away for a couple of days so i'm going to make sure that someone takes you out wife like what <laughs> she she's gonna stay home and watch netflix <laughs> well yeah i don't know any we don't know anything about the nature of their relationship but i mean it could also be that he wants to make sure she's not going out and getting into trouble on her own of course yeah that's a good point i never thought about it that way yeah yeah but then he really trusts vincent vega yeah but it just it it, it occurred to me at the time that i was like see if you could just be cool about her having sex with other people like fun <laughs> times and then you could also go and have when you're wherever you are you yeah. could have sex well, with he probably people. is anyway exactly right and like and when you start thinking about like how many movies tv shows songs everything books are based around the idea of possession in a relationship yeah like and how when vince has that pep talk with himself in the bathroom and he's talking about like this is a test of your loyalty yeah (laughs) and i said out loud also do you want to get killed (laughs) you know what i mean like it's not even loyalty it's like yeah like you will probably be disappointed in yourself because you if you are disloyal to your employer and someone you respect and also you will die (laughs) you know in a terrible way so there's a couple of couple of reasons i also appreciate the fact that she called out um like the hitmen in general and she says, like, when you guys get together, you're worse than, like, a bunch of teenagers. I about love that. Calling out the gossip and just being, A sewing like, circle. She says that you're worse, worse than a sewing circle. Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Which is, it's great no, to I see. Know. And, and also, like, Uma is amazing there. Like, the, the look in her face turns from kind of this, like, blasé, like, I'm just here to have a good time type of thing to being, like, I am serious now and you need to stop. It's, like, she takes control of that yeah. whole situation. Um, her eyes just like focus in a way that are just like this is not a joke anymore and you yeah. think you think that I'm a joke because you think that I'm owned by him yeah. or you know whatever and I'm assuming there's an age difference there but she just like fucking leveled the playing field yeah. I really yeah I was extremely happy to watch this again and find a whole new respect for her character it's very cool no the other fan theory that I was going to bring oh, up oh yes, yes yes yeah the uh, is it the the, the briefcase what's in the briefcase yeah, yeah the briefcase have you heard about like what the fan what what one of the big fan theories is is that the, the idea that it's Marcellus Wallace's soul in the Yeah. Yeah. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> okay. Why is that? Why why are we assuming that his soul isn't in his body? What? Like I don't, I don't know where it originally came from, but I mean, people certainly like to back it up with like the placement of the Band-Aid and everything. And right. Whatnot. So so he's walking around without a soul being like it was sucked out of his body and put in a briefcase. Somehow. Yeah. What? <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it, the the theory got legs, and I don't know. It's like a Horcrux. Oh, Harry Potter references mean nothing to you. Yeah, it means nothing. The idea of like uh, apparently it's not uncommon, as I learned in in you know reading about it in re- with regards to Harry Potter, but the idea of like taking your soul out of your body in order to allow yourself to like do be, bad things to like be even more ruthless, and then you keep it in a safe place to keep it protected. It's a thing. Oh, know. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, okay, so they're not just making this up just for this movie. This is a th- an idea that uh, comes, from, yeah. comes from other stuff. Yeah, and I think that I mean, the whole... didn't Tarantino say like explicitly like that's not what it is though? Like, not that that matters. I don't, I don't care. Right. What the I mean, like, says, the, but... like the the other one is like or the other big one is that it's the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs, right? And I mean, right. there's 
It's the kind of thing that like. But it glows yellow. It's a yellow light bulb. I read. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's the kind of thing that it's just like it's not fun for me to look into these anymore because no. I feel like those conversations have already been had. Right. And sure, there's so yes, much. I understand. There's so much more fun stuff to do with this movie yeah. than to kind of speculate over that. I just don't see, like, perhaps I'm missing a big thing, but I just don't understand why we're saying that Marcellus Wallace is soulless. I think it's just like a because he's like a big crime boss guy and it adds to like the, the legend of who he is and why people would fear him. And, and then everything. why do these four dorks in a like, <laughs> why do they have it? Right. Like yeah. uh, under what circumstances would they <laughs> have this thing? Yeah. Yeah. These like college boys. Anyway. So that. Yeah. That's my other beef with this. Uh, this lore. That, <laughs> can you imagine if this came out now with the power of the Internet and like how much stuff would be going on about it now? Yeah. Because doesn't isn't the combination six 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 yeah that, that, whatever like that's the coolest possible combination of course you're gonna pick six 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 it's actually nine 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 he's just got the case upside that's down. right yeah, yeah. He just, yeah. <laughs> okay so the the thing that I I think the thing that I like the most about it is just how tight everything is and how tight the script is mm-hmm. because there there like you said there's no point where you're sitting there and you're like oh I wish I was watching something else right you're not you, there's no point where you're like oh I'll just fast forward this section yeah. Um, and even if you're in a part that you're kind of like maybe for a little while aware that you're watching a movie, like it's, it's going to snap back pretty quickly. Like if you're like, oh, there hasn't been like really rapid fire, clever dialogue for a while. Like, mm. Or sometimes the dialogue is not so clever and you're like, oh, like that was a groaner. And then, but then you snap back in, you're like, oh, all is forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what kind of one are you, like, what, what sorts of moments are you talking about? I there? really, really, really hate when, um, and it's a fantastic well, okay, there are a couple lines when Vincent Vega shows up to his dealer's house with Mia's unconscious body. There are a couple lines in there that are overwrought, I think, when they're like, just get the shot. I am getting the shot. Just get the shot. Well, like, if you'd let me get the shot, it just, it goes on for a little too long. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, no, like, I love that part. Okay, but, like, oh. it's still, it's okay. Like, I, I'm, it's still passable. Yeah. But that, on top of the fact that when she comes back awake... And the dealer says, if you're okay, say something. And she says, something. Like, shut up. Like, (laughs) you were just, like, literally clinically dead. And this is what you're going to... I mean, you're cool, Mia. I understand. But you are not that clever. to, And and no one should be that clever (laughs) when they're coming back from the dead. This is a dumb joke. But I think I I have an easier time forgiving it because that's... Like, if she had said, like, fuck or something, you know what I mean? Like, that would have been, that's still something, but it's still, and it's more believable. Right, I just, I don't, I don't think that these people are speaking the same language that we are, because it seems like many of the, like, competent characters in this movie communicate in this, like, heightened way, and she's one of them, right? Like, she's just, like, she's just, like, spewing forth with cleverness that's just, like, unstoppable, and that's just, like, her natural language. I get that and like but I still think that that's overwrought do you know what I mean like I still think that that so I've been reading comic books a lot more lately okay and I was never someone who read comic books and one of the reasons is because I often find the dialogue extremely overwrought like it just to it's unbelievable that anybody would talk like this um and and it just ruins my sense of uh suspension of disbelief and even, you know, the conversation of, like, the Royale with cheese and everything, like, even that conversation is a little overwrought and it's a little ridiculous. But I'm willing to forgive something like that more than I'm willing to forgive literally coming from back from the dead and saying something. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe it was in her delivery and 
I I think she's fantastic in the role, but maybe if she had like looked up first and thought about it for a beat before yeah. saying that, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it just it just happens so quickly and so yeah. reactively that I'm just like, mm. yeah. <laughs> or maybe she's just been in a situation like this way too many times. Like maybe that's yeah, why she maybe. needs an escort because she keeps getting herself. That's true. Into these sorts also, of did you see? Like I noticed this time for the first time how deep that that needle is in her chest. Yeah. Right? It's a fuck. It's like six inches into her body. Yeah, it's got to go through her breastplate, right? Yeah, but I didn't eh, anyway, yeah. anatomy, whatever. That's for different. That's for doctors. Yeah. Um, not the type of doctor that I See, intend to be. I think I'm way more forgiving of the dialogue because I think that like it's part of the fun is just kind of like pretending that right, people actually what, talk this way. That's what I was about to say is that so now that I'm kind of thinking of it more as like a comic book, if I'm thinking of like a comic book as being closer to a pulp book. They probably mm-hmm. talk like that in pulp books. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. it's just kind of you have to suspend your disbelief because everybody's super cool and super clever and yeah. you know whatever. But it just that one stands out more to me than any of the other ones yeah. do to a point where I can't deal with it as much. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just such a it's such an intense scene. Yeah. Um, to be broken with that type of and like I said, like if she had just waited a beat and looked him in the eyes to say it to kind of acknowledge that what she's saying is clever. Yeah. That would have even sold it a little bit more for right. me. But and this is my own kind of bias about Quentin Tarantino coming out, where there and this happens in Inglorious Bastards a lot. I don't remember it so much in Kill Bill, but there are there are lines in Inglorious Bastards where I'm like, "You clever motherfucker! Like you are just wanking yourself writing this." You know what I mean? Like, oh, look how clever I am, right? Yeah. So there, I bet if you had asked me when I first watched this movie, I wouldn't have even noticed it. Whereas now I'm kind of just yeah, um, hyper awareness about yeah. Tarantino. Another thing that I quite like about the dialogue is that with Jules, especially, like, e- even though many of these people, and including Fabian, are like on this like heightened plane of communication and observation. I was thinking about that today, though, that Fabian has been alone all day waiting, like thinking about what she's going to say when Butch gets <laughs> home. Like, <laughs> here are the lines, here are the things that I've been thinking about, and yeah. here's exactly how I will say it. Yeah, it's it's almost like, it's like a stand-up routine stretched out over somebody's life mm-hmm. where they're just like, they have all these observations lined up about quarter pounders and, and all this stuff, right? Um, oh, that's why they say that he's a burger lover because he ate a Royale with cheese. That's where that's coming from. That's yeah, why that's... Vince is the... I know, I'm not I'm not justified. No, I know, but like it's ridiculous to <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, of course of course that's why, but no. Um, but I really appreciate the fact that Jules is able to kind of like weaponize his language. Like when he... Uh, or like the, those skills of observation. Like when they go into the apartment and he starts like... Uh, like really grilling that dude mm. he's doing the exact same thing he was just doing with Vince like mm. having this witty banter and everything he's just weaponized it and he's turned it against this poor bastard it's with a really the big good kahuna burger yeah I like that because it, it's it's all the same flow it's just a bit of a different tone right mm-hmm. and then he, it's all done with a character instead of you know him authentically shooting the shit with his buddies I also really like when he tells the guy on the couch to like knock it up and he like gets him to put his foot back on the couch like yeah. these little these little details <laughs> i'm now realizing that so much of the success of this isn't just with the dialogue but it, it is also the performances like mm-hmm. there isn't anybody who isn't doing a great job that who I isn't, who isn't really leaning into it yeah yeah like everybody's owning it right for sure the uh the thing with the dialogue though that i was i, th- I think i was worried about is uh I mean, this movie came out in the same year as Clerks, right? Oh, like, good point, because I was totally going to bring up Clerks and how I fucking hate how on the nose Clerks' dialogue is and how you can tell that someone has written all of this out beforehand. Right, yeah. right. and that's where, it, you know, it's like there's this this 
something happened somewhere along the line where like one of them has absolutely kept their their reputation for being this like untouchable cinematic god and the other one is just kind of like keep making podcasts but please stop making movies <laughs> which is why like i i don't know i just find this whole worship of quentin tarantino very suspicious you know what i mean like there there but for the grace of god goes kevin smith right like it's a fine line between the two of them yeah and one of them got a little bit more money at some point and was able to hire you know certain actors whatever right but yeah for sure there are lots of times in in quentin tarantino movies where i cringe the same way at the dialogue that i cringe at um something like clerks except for the fact that i hate randall so much in clerks that <laughs> okay. like no, nothing i can't hate any because he's the worst actor like yeah. his delivery of this dialogue the dialogue could actually be okay if it was delivered by someone competent right which is also what Malrat's Malrat's uh fails at because i love jason lee i love me some jason lee but jeremy london is the worst watch <laughs> Malrat's again watch yeah. jason jeremy london well and you will uh you will see is it jeremy london or is it jason london they're two brothers one of them is in my favorite movie Days and Confused, and one of them is in Mallrats. The lesser of them is in Mallrats. <laughs> and watch Mallrats again, pay attention to him, and have that movie ruined for you. I have ruined many... I have ruined it for many, many people. Well, that's what had it in my head. It's Jeremy London, by the way. Okay, so it's Jeremy London who sucks. Yeah, that's what had it in my head, because uh, over on Video Negative, uh, my podcast buddies from across the pond, they were talking about... Like, they just did Mallrats. <gasps> And they were talking. How dare they? Only I may insult mole rats, obviously. Well, they do shitty 90s movies, right? Like, that's their. It's that's not their a shitty shit. movie. Only I may insult mole rats. <laughs> I love it too much. Um, they were talking about the experience of, like, seeing mole rats as a teenager and then revisiting it as an adult. Just don't do that. Don't go just, back. Don't go back. Right. <laughs> and I was so worried that I was like, is that what Pulp Fiction is? Like, have people right. just, like, forgotten to watch it recently? Yeah. And they just grew, like, they didn't realize no. they'd outgrown it? Honestly, Dylan, part of me was like, can I do this podcast without rewatching this movie? Because I almost do not want to watch. Yeah. Okay, because I, I don't know. We can we can kind of part the, the curtain a bit and show that we were going to do um, The we're, Departed. Right. And I watched it thinking that I fucking love this movie and I watched it for the first time in 10 years or whatever and I hated it. I thought it was awful and I was like, I'm not going to be able to talk about anything Well, yeah, it wasn't even that you hated it. It was like you, you were like, I yeah. have nothing to talk about. Yeah, sorry. Movie. It wasn't yeah. that I hated it. I still found it like entertaining as yeah. much as like any kind of one of those movies but I was like, there's nothing to talk about here. Like this is just a, meh, a movie, right? Yeah. Like there's... Anyway, so that we were going to do that and I, I ended up videoing it. Thank you for letting me blackball that movie, by the way. But... <laughs> Um, and that's the, I, I was worried about Pulp Fiction for that. And that's why I thought, well, I'll just, I'll, I know I like the Butch story, so I'll fast forward everything else. Right. And then I didn't end up having to, so. Um, so the one question that I, I'm curious about for you yes. in terms of like the movie's handling of it. Um, <laughs> I wonder what this it, could be. <laughs> it, was, it was partially because of, uh, um, there's an article going around that I have seen the headline of, so I shouldn't quote it. <laughs> Uh, but it, it was talking about how the Game of Thrones creators apparently have said, like, yeah, we we realize that it's irresponsible to use, like, rape as a, like, plot twist. That's awesome. That's really self-aware of them, finally. Um, I haven't read it, so I don't want to give them too much credit or anything. But, like, right. that's the headline that I've seen from a couple of sources. Okay. Let's assume that that's what it's Right. <laughs> because that sounds great. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the... I mean... So the, with the, I mean, the rape scene that happens in this movie, mm -hmm. does it kind of like fit the tone of the pulpiness of it? That's just like, this is like the, there's like this crazy hyper-violent thing that happens. Or is it just like you stumble into a pawn shop and all of a sudden you're being like 
violently assaulted by these like random people who came out of nowhere yeah so this is an an exceptionally good question the way you phrased it i knew we were going to talk about this obviously because you've talked um a lot about rape in in movies in previous podcasts but uh and there's lots to say about it and there's lots of different angles but i really like the way that you've asked this question i as i said i watched this movie when i was 14 this was the first time that i ever would have seen um I think the first, definitely the first one that I remembered seeing a rape on in, in any sort of media. Right. I remember not thinking of it as any different than any of the other violence that happens in the movie, Yeah, which is to say that I don't know. I was just like a super badass 14 year old, I guess, but I was not phased by it in any other like, right. way than the other violence. Um, and now watching it again and thinking about, the conversations that we've had about rape before one thing that i was that i thought was really great about it is that they call them rapists in the movie and i think sorry i, I don't yeah, want to go ahead, go but ahead. the fact that ving rames like calls that what it is mm-hmm. immediately even though it's what's happened to him mm-hmm. and i mean like sure he doesn't want other people to know about it which he he brings up he said like as far as anybody else concerned this didn't happen yes or nobody else needs to know about it, I guess, is what he said. It's not quite the same thing. Yeah. But, like, he calls it rape. I think Even, he says it's nobody else's business. Right. It's nobody says, else's yeah. business. Right. Yeah. So he's not trying to, like, pretend yeah. it didn't happen. Like, he, like, immediately oh, yeah, no. owns it and names it. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. And he Which, calls... like, especially for, like, a male victim mm-hmm. is... Exactly. So the way that you asked this question, you said, is it something that seems like it's fitting with the, the violence in the movie or not? I mean, it's not like anything else in the movie is telegraphed before it happens. Like, that's kind of part of it is like, we're going to talk about hamburgers and now we're going to shoot motherfuckers in the face. Right. Of course. Yeah. And so um, I guess when when we think about my, my big problem with rape as a plot device is that often the thing that happens is that um, it happens to women because the writers have conceived that there's no possible way that this woman would be motivated by anything else except for rape or that the men surrounding her would not be motivated by anything else but the rape of this woman. Um, Marcellus Wallace is an interesting case because he seems to be motivated very easily by a lot of things. We have the setup at the beginning where Jules seems to think there's a, there's a rumor that he's thrown someone out of a window for touching his wife's feet, right? So that extrapolating from that, terrible things are about to happen to Zed, right? Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> right, this is yeah. like a the, well, the fact that like the, the guys can scale. hear this rumor and they they're not questioning whether or not it happened. Right. They're questioning whether or not it was justified. Exactly. But like they all believe that Marcellus Wallace could have done this. Right, which is exactly what Mia says, where she's like, Can you believe that? And and they have a an explicit conversation about uh Vincent says, I don't think it was justified, but I believe it could happen. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. all of this is setting up what 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 is the worst possible thing that could happen to Marcellus Wallace? And in a way, I'm almost as far as like if if rape plots had to happen, I'm I'm very grateful that it wasn't Mia had to get raped. Do you know what I mean? Like this is something that happened to him, and then he made a decision because it's very rare that a woman it happens to the woman and then she gets to make a decision. It's usually to motivate like another person in the story or something like that, right? right. Or it's usually it's she's done nothing to do this and obviously marcellus wallace hasn't done anything in this case he just was in the wrong place at the wrong time but it's a very complicated question about like morality when you think about like oh you know a plot device that a woman gets raped it's usually because oh this poor woman you know what i mean like 
She's done nothing to deserve this, and now this is motivating her whole kick-ass life after this. Marcellus Wallace is already a character up to like, unto himself, and this is what we were talking about in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, Lisbeth didn't have the fortune of being a character before something bad happened to her. Marcellus Wallace did. He was able to be a, an actionable character, a character that had agency, and a character that made decisions and hurt people before something bad happened to him. So it's less of a plot device to me as more as just a plot. This is something that happens to him because he got a story beforehand. He got to have a story beforehand and afterwards. And this is not the the defining feature of his life. Can we talk about like the BDSM aspect? Oh, yes, of this? course, please. Because yeah. I think it's obviously I remember, you know, you don't forget a, a scene like this. And it's also parodied in The Simpsons, which is kind of crazy when you when you realize it. I think it's kind of interesting that we're talking about this movie after talking about Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, because one of the things that I talked about about that rape scene is how it's... It's like a gross mutation of BDSM. Yeah, like uh, it's staged like a BDSM scene where, you know, with the handcuffs and everything, right? And this is like overtly a BDSM connotation with the gimp specifically. Right. They wake up with ball gags uh, in their mouths. Um and they have a whole like dungeon with there's like a bunch of paddles and whips mm-hmm. and stuff on the on the wall and everything like that. Which is like somebody's old bedroom is the Yeah, I noticed that this time too. Yeah. I was like, What happened what happened to him? Yeah. yeah whatever his name was, Ugh. Randall or something. Maybe it was Randall. Randall from, from Clerks. Clerks. <laughs> God, I hope so. No, I'm just kidding. That's awful. That's why Randall's the way he is. Yeah. So I was thinking about this today when I was watching it and I was thinking about how um this would have been like just not to be too blue or anything not to be too uh personal but like this wasn't my first experience with like watching this at 14 was not my first experience with like looking at bdsm imagery or anything um but it definitely was my first experience like seeing like people interact with like gimp in that type of thing you know what i mean that's not the not the porn that i was looking at on my dial-up um <laughs> okay terrible in the you know when you remember when computers were like in your family room like yeah <laughs> oh yeah man, man the risks we took the <laughs> risks we took <laughs> and i and i remember also like just not i just was kind of like yep that's that's how it is like this is this is that scene you know like and what i mean like the bdsm scene like right. this scene is the bdsm scene and now i'm looking at it from so it seemed like informative to you at it that wasn't, point. It wasn't yeah. that it was informative. I just like believed that, you know, like this is what mm-hmm. goes on. Like it's bad, obviously. Yeah. Like this is, but this is the, these are the types of people that would do this. And then now I'm thinking about how like, what was the impetus to be like, well, not only are we hardcore BDSM sadists, but we're also rapists. Right. You know what I mean? Like what's. Was it just because it was kind of that shock of having also the gimp racist as well? rapist? I want to put that oh for there. sure, for sure, like, Jesus, yeah, definitely. Um, and it was interesting watching the dynamic between like Zed and Maynard and the gimp, where like Zed is obviously the top, right, for all of them. But it's interesting, like, and the gimp is the bottom, but like the very bottom. But Maynard is obviously also um, in between the two of them, right? Like he's not, he has no power in this relationship at all, right? So it was just kind of interesting seeing it from that from a perspective of more knowledge about BDSM and just thinking about the things that I, the way that I've badmouthed BDSM being poorly contrived in media, in popular media before. And now looking back at this and being like, 
it never occurred to me at the time to be like, this is not a great way to show right. BDSM. But the thing is, is that there are people who are into BDSM who are also criminals. Terrible people. Yeah. yeah. And there are people who are into Wagner who are criminals. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Correlation well, actually, is not... Nazis. All... Yeah. <laughs> like... yeah. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, cor- yeah, correlation is not causation. Is that what yeah. you were going to say? Yeah. So I can't, I can't, I'm not going to blast, put, put Tarantino on blast for, for making these, uh, BDSM guys rapists Yeah. because it's not, uh, it's not, I don't think he's, I don't, and I, and I, and as a, as a teenager, I didn't assume that that meant that all BDSM, you know, enthusiasts are rapists. Like that right. was not the correlation that I made then. Right. Either. But then for me, like being 13 or 14, seeing that and having that be my first exposure. Right. Two. Yeah. What did you think? That sort what of was your, what was scene. Your... Um, I don't know. Like that's not a world that I live in, so I I hadn't really thought about how my worldview might have been informed <laughs> by that movie. But watching it this time, I found myself just kind of worried about the gimp. Mm-hmm. Not because I necessarily want to. Like I don't want. I don't, don't want to be putting somebody down for like preferring to be in a submissive position right, in but a relationship. We, like the understanding is that's probably not consensual. Right, and that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, and that was that was my kind of thing. Was as I was watching it, I was like, "Well, if you're willing to like tie up these random strangers, like, is the gimp in on this whole thing?" And I didn't know if like when the gimp starts laughing at Butch, if that's uh, because he's genuinely enjoying himself and watching somebody else be powerless, or if it's like a Stockholm situation sort of thing. Yeah. So syndrome, yeah. I was kind of like pleased when. Because everybody else gets either stabbed or tortured, and then the gimp just gets knocked out with a boxer punch. Do you think that he's he's like hanging though? Like, do you think that he was hanged? Because I was thinking about that today. I always assume that he died in that position. Oh, I didn't really think about that. Yeah, because I, I guess it all depends on where the where the chains are tied to. Was it around well, his neck? It's, it's like a collar on his on his neck that is tied to that thing. Right. And then and then the, when Butch comes back down, he's just like he's hanging there. Right. And one would assume. I mean, I know in movies people get knocked out forever but like yeah. you wouldn't get knocked out for that long really i don't know anyway i'm just wondering if he also died yeah. um because butch doesn't free him yeah. <laughs> right like <laughs> well i mean he's got no reason to have sympathy of course yeah yeah, yeah. um but yeah i was just kind of like Ugh. like i <laughs> i don't know but it's also like the movie kind of lets you off off the hook and just be like don't worry about it one of the one of the things that is a telling thing to me about how this is written by people who are not actually into bdsm is when um and it's kind of like a voyeuristic look at ooh, let's put some you know some gags in them and stuff like that is when um zed is like uh go get the gimp and maynard says i think the gimp is sleeping and he's like well then go wake him up that would never fucking happen like you would know the gimp is there specifically to be used whenever zed says go get the gimp maynard maynard would not say oh i think he's sleeping like no like it doesn't fucking matter like he's yeah. he's he's a tool right like he's yeah. a he's an object to be used so yeah that was one of the things that i'm like mm, you know right you're you're either doing this because you want people to be like oh like wow this is a big deal or or you don't know what you're talking about or they're just yeah i mean they might be like playing it up like to, to add a little bit of tension like they a couple play- extra seconds to like the reveal of the gimp or right and then but then if if the people writing it knew what they were doing they would have said they would have made said say something like you know better than this or something you know what i mean like they would have been like this is a an established role that we have type of thing whereas like the way that it's acted out it's like this is the very first time that he's ever asked to go get the gimp right also can we just say my favorite scene 
I have a lot of favorite scenes, but my favorite scene is when Butch goes back up and he has that crisis of conscience at the door and he decides that he's going to go back and save Marcellus Wallace. And part of, part of that is because he hopes that that means that he'll be off the hook for what right. he did. <laughs> so he's he's a complicated person motivated by many different things. Right. But uh, And then he goes back and he finds a hammer and he's like, yeah, hammer. And then he sees a bat and he's like, no, 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 bat. Nice. <laughs> and then he turns around and there's a chainsaw. And he's like, ooh, a chainsaw. Yeah, this will do it. And then... And then, ah. yeah, and I love like the this is what Tarantino is great at, like having this kind of I, I he the the places where he puts the camera are really interesting. So having it from that perspective, it's almost like a god's eye view, but it's actually the samurai sword eye view of seeing Butch just like <laughs> agape at how yeah. great this is going to be with the sword instead. And there's another really good part where um the camera is put almost in like the corner, the the lower corner of the room when Vince is talking about his car. And how it got keyed to his dealer, which foreshadows Vince driving his car, his beloved car, into the into the dealer's house and ruining it. Right. But yeah, it's from like a it's from the bottom corner of the room, so you see them from like a really weird angle. I really I, I appreciate that. One of the things that I I hate in film is when you have to convince me why I need to be watching this as a movie. Do you know what I mean? If this would be if I could get this everything out of this by just reading it as a novel you've failed at film you need to be visually interesting as well and tarantino definitely uh definitely hits those boxes even as much as i dislike him fair enough anyway what were you gonna say i was just saying like in it seems like the movie is putting a lot of ideas out there in terms of fate and luck and and what these things all mean but i'm not sure if it has any answers for them or if it's just kind of playing with them yeah, and that's that's kind of one of the things that I don't like about that whole it's his soul in the in the thing. I don't like looking at this as like a bigger thing. I like looking at this as just these are normal people going through normal things. Like when when Jules is like, "No, this was divine intervention." And then he has that epiphany at the end of the movie, which is earlier in the movie or in the chronological right. order and everything. I don't like reading that as being like this movie has something to say about the greater plan of the universe this is just these interesting people who have interesting takes on life because they're all different people coming from different places experiencing different things so butch never at any point is like holy shit (laughs) you know what i mean like he should be like he's just every all the all the things that happen to him are through good luck like it's not he's just like the luckiest person ever except Um, (laughs) for when he runs into Marcellus Wallace when he's driving away from his house. Well, yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. So it's still like, um, it's still fate, but like he could have been unlucky in that like he could have been, it could have been the other way around. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. he was still in his car. He was in a position of, uh, position of. And, and right. Then, I just mean like the circumstances that came after that. and the, Of course. But yeah. I suppose he he left that situation much more unscathed well, but than Marcellus remember, Wallace did. Yeah, he was he was lucky in that he wasn't the first one chosen in the Eeny Meeny yeah. Miny Mo, right? Like he Which was the Eeny Meeny Miny Mo, he even like when Zed was doing he it. He did it he did it twice on <clears throat> He did it twice on Marcellus. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. he I think he knew what he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And he also says the N word one, which is the real version yeah. of that. Yeah. Um Gross. Yeah. But no, yeah, I, I the, the the fate thing and then and then who's the unluckiest character? Other than, I mean, obviously, Marcellus Wallace getting raped is extremely, I don't know if I would call it unlucky. Because if we're talking about actual, like, fate and luck and stuff, what, who do you think the unluckiest character is? I, I mean, that's Vincent, right? Yeah. yeah. 
the man cannot go to the bathroom <laughs> without something terrible happening. Yeah, no kidding. It happened yeah, three times. Yeah. And then also when he's uh, when he shoots the guy's head off in the car as a and it's just a yeah. So uh, uh, yeah, it's when when he goes to the bathroom, Mia snorts his heroin. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he and he he had his car keyed. <laughs> yeah, he ended up having his car keyed, which I believe uh, it turns out that was Butch. Like after he left the bar, mm-hmm. and I was just kind of mm-hmm. like, yeah, good call. Um, well, I, I, I does IMDb trivia, so take it with a grain of salt. No, that makes sense. Though. But yeah, and I mean, like his his luck is like <laughs> in some cases like literally inverse to Butch's luck mm-hmm. because Butch is super lucky that when he came home, Vince was in the bathroom, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Vince was super unlucky that when he went to the bathroom, he left the gun on the fucking the gu- thing. Like it's a huge gun. It's a small bathroom. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but he like he's there. He's sitting there reading modesty blaze and like i i have no problem sitting here forever reading this comic book (laughs) and not and my gun isn't like come on dude yeah yeah i don't know maybe he's not the swiftest or in the water i don't think (laughs) so i guess we decide then having a character ask a big picture question doesn't necessarily mean that the whole text is going to answer that no i don't think so and i and i think that that's what we're this is my my big problem with um tarantino Tarantino makes really entertaining movies that are gorgeous and fun and suspenseful, violent, and interesting. He does not make movies that we write great philosophical tomes on. He does not make movies that change people's lives in the way that a a text with a lot of gravitas is supposed to. Do you know what I mean? People can say that they changed their lives, but it's not the same. The people who are saying that a movie like Pulp Fiction changed their lives are coming from a position of privilege where their life did not need to be changed in the first place. <laughs> anyway, what I mean is that if... <laughs> You're describing me in, in the eighth grade. Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah. Hang a poster on my wall. Exactly. My life has changed. Yeah. That's what I mean. Is like We can love Quentin Tarantino's movies, but please let's not make them out to be some sort of savior, amazing film that, you know deserves to be deserves all the accolades that it gets we were talking earlier or sorry we were talking before the podcast about like what is what are overrated movies and i don't want to say that pulp fiction is overrated because i think it is a fantastic movie i think that it is everything that a film should be but i really don't want to pretend that it's some sort of like i don't want to compare it to like madame bovary or something you know what i mean like i don't i don't want to put it in like the sphere of art that has any sort of like extremely intense thing to say about the world right right and that's me being a snob an art snob for sure but there are movies <laughs> there are movies that like i think are more artistically or philosophically important and yeah. that's that's my own that's my own judgment obviously but i just wish that people would be a little more lax about quentin tarantino and see it for what he i'm i think wants us to see it for Right. The movie is fucking called Pulp Fiction. It is not called, you know, Socrates's last breath or anything like that, right? <laughs> like, we're not supposed to look at this as, like, an amazing, like, feat yeah. of philosophical wonderment. We're supposed to see this as, like, a fun, crazy, well-shot, uh, good story. Right. And I think all of his movies are like that. I Like, I haven't seen uh, Django Unchained or the newest one, 12... Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight, that's it. Twelve Angry Men. <laughs> Twelve Angry Men is a great movie. Not the same thing. No, not at all. Twelve Angry Men is a great movie. Um, but yeah, like I haven't seen those movies, but 
I the way that I interpret them from their trailers or whatever, or even how they're marketed, is he knows what he's doing. He's making entertaining movies. He's not trying to make movies that are life-changing. And it's all these, like, weird nerd bros who, like, neck-bearded, IMDb-obsessed people who are making them as hallowed as they actually are, right? And I wish we could just kind of accept them for what they what what they really are which is just pulp fun stuff yeah like like one of his movies is like grindhouse his his half of grindhouse or whatever it's fucking like they're grindhouse movies you know what yeah. i mean like we he's doing this on purpose and glorious bastards is done in a way that is specifically done to to make it as outrageous as possible we get to see someone kill hitler right right <laughs> this is not on the same level as Shawshank Redemption or and I'm not even a fan of Shawshank Redemption but do you know what I mean like yeah. this is not a, a a movie that you kind of like change your life around yeah I think that and maybe this is something that's at the heart of it is wrong with a lot of how we look at movies in a contemporary way mm-hmm. and because we think so often in terms of listicles and and top tens and, and that sort of thing that because we're so informed by consensus that just because everybody can agree that Pulp Fiction is entertaining doesn't mean that it's the best movie that's ever right. been made. Exactly. And like we don't have to. And I sound I sound like I'm being hypocritical because I'm trying to look at this as a piece of art that I'm going to criticize. But we don't have to think that every piece of art has some sort of depth or meaning. Art can just be entertainment. Art can just be beautiful. It can just be fun and exciting and it can be fucking awesome. And we can say that it's our favorite movie. But please do not fucking tell me that there is some sort of message behind it, that it's Marcellus Wallace's soul in the fucking briefcase. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. please do not tell tell me that. Just tell me that you think it's beautiful. Period. Well, you said period, so now I have to stop That's the right. The podcast, the podcast is over. Podcast over. But do you know what I mean? Like, it's a, I, I, really, I really hate when people kind of... And this is why we are unable to talk about things like video games being art, right? This is why Gamergate exists, where people are unable to separate the difference between talking about something as aesthetically pleasing or entertaining and then being able to say like, oh, but I really don't like the way that they handle this character. Right. That doesn't mean we should erase it from the face of the planet, right? Right. Which is why I can love Pulp Fiction and still think that Tarantino is a complete dork and have a lot of issues. Great. So uh, let's wrap this up the same way that we Wait a minute. I, w- or- I did want to say one thing. Oh, yeah, please. Go ahead. About how much I hate Tarantino. So let's talk about the scene that I specifically hate. Okay, yes. With uh, with with him in it, and Harvey Keitel is so great, so great. I'm pretty sure that in order to have the conversation, you need to say okay, Ugh! like every three seconds. He's so awful. Like, who does he think he is, putting himself in his movie when he's that bad of an actor? Isn't isn't the thing that he had to dis- like? He was like, I was I was trying to have a hard time deciding whether I was gonna play. <laughs> I'm doing the jack off motion. You can't see but. whether I was gonna play this guy or whether I was gonna play the uh, the, the Jules. drug dealer. Oh, <laughs> Jules, no. I don't know. I don't know about that. But Eric Stoltz did such a good job. Yeah, Eric Stoltz did an He's amazing good. job in that role. He's like this perpetual salesman. Yeah. Who just like he knows that there's a little bit of aftercare required after a sale. <laughs> you got to take care of the customer because like. He's just agreeing with every single thing that Vince is saying. Yeah. Where he's just like, oh, yeah, man. No, world's gone to shit. You know, no, no, yeah, man, you don't touch a guy's car. And I'm like, this guy probably doesn't have a car. He no, doesn't no. care about he car culture. Care he's eating Fruity Pebbles and watching cartoons. Yeah. Like, 
He does not give a fuck. No, yeah, I like that. Anyway, so yeah, the uh Yeah. Um so I noticed for the first time today that Bonnie is African American. Yeah. I never noticed that before. Yeah. So not only do we have this asshole character saying the N word to a black man. Right. But we also have Quentin Tarantino playing the asshole saying the n-word to samuel l jackson whose character is apparently married to a black woman right like if i could hate this anymore i I would love (laughs) please please at me on twitter to tell me other reasons why i should hate this who the fuck i think i think i think that's him giving himself permission to say the n-word yeah, to be like, oh no, it's fine because it's like the it's it, it's like the my it's best fine friends are I'm, black. Yeah, exactly. No, that does that's the opposite. You should know better. Right, you should know better. Right, but I'm saying that's the. I know, but that's the worst. <laughs> Do, okay, but see, my my thing, <laughs> my thing with that is that it's it makes it worse, and my reasoning is that so one of the things that I hate about Quentin Tarantino is how like remember how in Inglorious Bastards he's the one to strangle the character like it's his hands strangling the the, the woman who, right. who caveat we're not talking about Inglorious Bastards but my favorite thing to complain about about that movie is this is like one of the greatest actresses in Germany who literally cannot act to save her life she has a lie to tell and cannot fucking tell it and gets killed because of it. She literally cannot act to save her life. Anyway, when she's getting choked out by Christoph Waltz, it's not Christoph Waltz. It's Quentin Tarantino for some fucked up reason. Like, come on, dude. Like, that's so fucking messed up. On top of all the other gross foot fetish stuff. Anyway, but like, so the type of person who does something like that, to me, him having, him making Bonnie a black person and then saying the N-word isn't him justifying it it's him being like look how fucking messed up i am i'm gonna push the envelope as much as possible and there's nothing you can do about it because samuel L. jackson thinks i'm a cool guy right, right. like he keeps being in my movies for some reason right yeah. like he he uh, and and that's the we're talking about justification he's the one who's like samuel L. jackson was okay with it so what are you gonna do you know what i mean like yeah he's fine with this because jackson is okay with it which is crazy like ugh, i don't know I had a I had a big argument with someone about Inglourious or sorry about um, Django Unchained and about how Spike Lee really hates Django Unchained and he was very vocal about it and I haven't seen Django Unchained so I I can't speak to it other than the fact that Spike Lee doesn't like it um, and and a bunch of other you know black critics said that this is bullshit that he just keeps getting away with this and I had a huge argument with someone who was like okay but like why shouldn't he be allowed to say it and I'm like would you say it? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, you're not just because he's using it in art does not mean this is, this doesn't exist in a vacuum. We have to, we can look at it critically and be like, <laughs> um, do you not think you're perpetuating this to a certain point? And that's why I mentioned that I did not realize how many other white characters say the N word in this movie. Cause I remembered it as being like, well, remember when Tarantino says it, yeah. but there's a ton of characters who say it. Well, at least, Two others that I can think of. <laughs> and as far as that, I'm concerned, that's a ton. Um, and yeah, and I, like this 1994, I can't off the top of my head think of other movies that it isn't like, like I can think of other movies where people say that word, but it was very obviously this character is the racist. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas like he is, he is saying this to a black man in his home and yelling at him. Yeah. And but he's obviously also not in a position of power over this guy. Do you know what I mean? Like Yeah, was, but he is he's like he's like power tripping, right? Like that's that's what the tripping. character is doing. He's power tripping and he's like he's pushing the boundaries of what his own 
of what that character would be able to say. Like, like when he says, like, did you see a sign on my lawn that says dead N-word storage? And he's like, he's looking at Jules, like daring him to be like, say something, say something. Like, I dare you to push back on this because you know that you're only here because I'm allowing you to be. Yeah, but he's a little bitch that Jules should be wrecking. You know what I mean? Like, he's more of a little bitch than the four college students that he just fucked up. No, right. And that's the whole thing is like, that's that's. But Quentin Tarantino didn't write it that way, did he? Like, right. he wrote it so that he could have a power trip against a black man. <laughs> right. Exactly, and like an explicit power trip where yeah. he's where he's challenging him to like, I know that I'm the one who like you know your sense of decency won't allow you mm-hmm. to like like the, the the scene right before that is Jules and Vincent in the bathroom talking about like you know Jules is telling him like no no like don't mess up his towels like we're here like he's being really courteous he's opened up his door to us like you need to just like play along get along get along and then like the, in the very next scene it's demanded of him to like. To take this like, abuse, to take exactly. this racialized abuse, exactly, exactly, yeah. But yeah, and like, but he, the, it's just really uncomfortable to watch ex- Sam Jackson take this exactly from yeah. Anyway, it's extremely uncomfortable, and that's and that's the thing is that and, and again, if you want to call me a hypocrite, fine. But if he had written this for someone else, then I I still would have been like Jesus, but I I wouldn't have been like. <laughs> good lord dude like you are you are just loving this right now you know what i mean like well, it just like, is yeah. so fucking weird that because he's so bad at it too yeah, like, he's terrible he's not even a good actor exactly. it's this low point too but mm-hmm. i also like i remember this was the line that i quoted because i thought it was so funny and i did it like unironically wait you said the n-word yeah i oh. remember like quoting it with like my buddies and like oh my god i can't believe what we're getting away with so like oh shit like i un- like this was I don't want to say before I knew better because that's not an acceptable answer. No, no, I, answer. I understand. I understand because but, I mean, um, like, no, we're all terrible and racist. I get it. <laughs> I'm not being funny. Like we are white, so we are like <laughs> this is ingrained in us to not understand that this is what. Yeah, the, problem the is. little 14 year old Dylan thought that this was like the funniest mm-hmm. thing, not because of what necessarily the word meant, but just because like I knew that you shouldn't say it. Yeah. Well, it's like how like so it's like he was giving me permission to like quote it because I'm like oh well, it's Gwen Darandino's edit. That's a perfect example because it's 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 he has permission because he's written himself into it to do it, which is what I mean about him having permission about choking that actress. Right. Right. Like it's just fucking weird, right? Like yeah. it's just a weird. He's just a weird fucking guy. And, and it's not like and I and it, I really it, dislike the idea of him being associated with BDSM as a result. <laughs> <laughs> because the fact that he's weird does not mean that he's like a conscientious member of the community. Well, if you like <laughs> compare, like compare and contrast with like Mel Gibson using his own hands to like nail in the the nails in, Shut in up. Passion I didn't of the know Christ. About that. I believe so. I might be like this might be totally made up. In which case, whatever, because that information somehow made it into my head. But apparently, like that was his way of like dealing with his own guilt. Is like I'm the one nailing in Jesus. I really don't think that Tarantino was like, I'm dealing with my own guilt of killing this. No, I'm saying, like, <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. He's like, it's the opposite thing. Right, like, yeah, Mel Gibson opposite, is putting yeah. himself into the movie to in order to, like, deal with his own feelings of, like... Okay, of, like, glorifying... Or not glorifying, but, um, yeah, like, of... His of, own feelings of guilt and responsibility for, like, the murder of his lord and savior. Right, yeah. As opposed to Quentin Tarantino, who is, like, using it to give himself permission to... Get his get his does. jollies off, and that's what really sucks because um, it's very difficult for me to kind of look at these characters. I I, I maintain one hundred percent that um, the women are done terribly in Inglorious Bastards. Like they both have died for stupid reasons. Um, they're not nearly as cool as what I have now come to realize. These women in Pulp Fiction, 
are to a certain extent like they're they're about as cool as the men are in that they're not nobody's given much of a backstory nobody's given a whole lot of redeeming qualities or anything like that right um and then i hear about tarantino wanting to make like a a modesty blaze movie or like wanting to remake faster pussycat kill kill and things like that and it just it hurts me to think that he seems to think that he's this really great paragon of strong women characters who nobody else is doing do you know what i mean and like and 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 the thing is that people feed into that we can do better that's all i'm asking is that we do better than this like it's 20 years later and we're still he's still doing the same mistakes yeah right i can forgive him for things he did in 1994 but he's still doing the same problem he's still doing the same thing and we're still validating it we're still excited about these these problems and not yeah. just him like all all sorts of directors who think that this is okay yeah same problem with girl with the dragon tattoo my boy fincher like could have made that character a lot cooler considering he made marlo a lot cooler in fight club do you know what i mean like this there's just we are we are slacking my dudes we can we can <laughs> do better than this all right so let's wrap this up the same way that we always do so we want to assign this movie one two three four or five stars according to our netflix profile one star means you hated it. Two stars means you didn't like it. Three stars means you liked it. Four stars means really liked it. And five stars means you loved it. As well, uh, I want you to pick an MVP for the movie. No, this is it's it's difficult because um, on my Letterboxd, I'm pretty sure I have Pulp Fiction as four to five uh, because I try to reserve the fives for ones that are like just like it's a gut feeling that I know that this is a five. Right. And I know that there's things that could be could could have been better in Pulp Fiction. But I don't think that at the time, given the 1994 of it, and also given the fact that this is Quentin Tarantino's kind of first big, like it was still an indie movie as far yeah. as uh, everyone's concerned. Um, like, you know, I'm perfectly fine with forgiving it for a lot of things. So I'm going to say, like, I think I've given a half before, even though I'm not technically yeah, allowed. Yeah, you have to put in whatever it, whatever you're putting it in on Netflix. So Ugh. either four or five. Okay, well, I'm going to give it a four then. All right. Um, and the my my rating, my dear listeners, if you have been following my podcasts, uh, <laughs> my appearances on this podcast, uh, you will notice that my ratings are like all four or five because right. it's either I'm only going to pick a movie that I really liked. Um, anyway, uh, but my uh, I was thinking today about who my my MVP is and I I as we said earlier I love every performance in this movie even the ones who piss me off that it's because they're doing their role correctly right um but I would say that Butch is my favorite character and so uh uh what's his face that I just see just flew out of my head Bruce Willis Bruce Willis thank you um Bruce Willis is probably my MVP saying that obviously Fabian is my other favorite character, but she doesn't get as much screen time as Butch. And I just love Butch's story. I love the way that Bruce Willis acts um, because Butch is a cool guy who by all actual, uh, you know, he should not be, all of this should not be happening to him. He should have died (laughs) like like way earlier. (laughs) So this is all kind of just, he, things are, things are lining up for him. The wheel of fortune has, has turned up for him uh and things are going well um and he just he acts he he performs this with a a level of butch is self-aware of this do you know what i mean like butch is kind of like this is ridiculous that this keeps happening to me wonderful things keep happening and he has this twinkle in his eye that is kind of like i am indestructible because for some reason fate is really on my side do you know what i mean and uh yeah he's just really great at it but everybody's really good 
if I had to pick someone who is my like the opposite of an MVP, my least valuable your least player, valuable player. Um, I would actually say that Samuel Jackson um, often comes across to me as overreacting. And I don't think that this is necessarily like a uh, a new opinion on Samuel L. Jackson. Like, okay. like m- most of his roles after this are based on him yelling, which is that whole like Dave Chappelle uh, skit about Samuel L. Jackson. But um, did you know that uh, when he went to audition for this role, he almost didn't get it because he thought he was just doing a reading. He thought it was a formality and he thought that the role because Tarantino wrote the role for him. Oh, really? But the guy who played the bartender in the movie right auditioned so well that tarantino was like shit i'm gonna make him jewels instead and so he told jackson to come back and he was like you better impress me because someone else has got your job and then jackson actually brought it because like that that's how he was just like eh, whatever it's right. just a reading so it was we were this close to having someone else not really? as iconic which is another thing about us watching this when we were much older then sorry younger but like it had been out for so many years six years or seven years when we watched it um in my mind samuel jackson was a big star but like at the time it wasn't the same thing right right? so it's it's weird seeing it from that perspective but yeah no i would say that uh bruce willis definitely is my my mvp shout out to my girl fabienne yeah for me it's i think it's the same thing bouncing for you not sure whether to go four or five stars I mean, I feel like five stars would be more from peer pressure than anything else and just kind of like what yeah. I'm expected to say. Yeah. So, I mean, I, if I'm choosing between really liked it and loved it, I'd say I really liked it. Um, I kind of explained that I've gone through various stages of liking this movie from underwhelmed to to whelming <laughs> with it. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to I think I'm going to put it as a four star movie into my profile. And I think I'm choosing Bruce Willis as my MVP for the same reason. Uh He's pretty much the star. He's the one that has the most screen time. He's the one that has the most um, like character arc. Well, I feel like he's got the most going on in that he's he's both the most human character and the most pulpy character mm. at the same time. Like he's the guy who I genuinely connected with him in watching him interact with Fabian, but then he's also like something out of Sin City or something out of like a video game in the way that he's able to just like deal with his problems and be quippy while he's doing it and mm. like he literally moves through like enhanced inventory before he goes to deal with the problem and right. then all of a sudden he knows how to wield a sword yeah like he's got yeah. no reason other, but he's got style while he does it and he like does the you know the stab behind his back and everything yeah but he's he, like the manic pixie dream guy like for yeah. some reason he has this amazing yeah. he's like the mary sue i guess where suddenly he's got like all the all the things he could possibly need to yeah. get through this absolutely yeah but and I, and I, I like the the I love how humanizing it is when he's like, "All right, things are good. I'm gonna make some pop tarts." Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so nice. But I also want to shout out to uh, the person who I think does the most with the least is probably Ving Rhames, and just like the the few minutes where he's on screen are absolutely amazing. Like the look that he gives Bruce Willis with like motherfucker when he <laughs> sees him and yeah. he's holding the donuts. Yeah. Donuts, I got donuts. <laughs> Or their interaction between the two of them. He's like, hey, man, are you okay? And he's yeah. like, I most definitely am not No, no, no. Okay. I'm pretty fucking far from yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm pretty fucking far from okay. Like, that's such a good... Oh, God. Yeah. That's it's a delicious No, you're line. right. And that's a good way of putting it is the, doing the most with least because he, unfortunately, didn't get a whole lot of uh, screen time, right? So, And a lot of the time when he's on screen, we're just looking at the back of his head. So Yeah, I think that that's, that's when a, the turn happens because that's the first time you see his face, right, is when Butch sees him. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, mm-hmm. the the rest of the time, he's just kind of like this looming figure, mm-hmm. this kind of like kingpin sort of character. Um, And then when you actually meet him, you're like, oh, God, like you're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of being this myth. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I really I really liked everything that he had to everything he did. OK, cool. Well, awesome. It's been really great to get back in and talking to you. Yeah, it was and super fun. Doing movies and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, it's. Let's uh, wrap this some bitch up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be everything this week from the Netflix podcast. If you liked what you heard today, head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of the Netflix content like show notes, articles, and reviews. You can find us on all sorts of social media platforms. We're on Facebook as Netflix, on Twitter at Netflix Pod, where you can also find me at Dylan Clark Moore. And, and you can find me at Deezen, D-I-E-Z-Y-N. And we are on Tumblr and SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. You can find me on Letterboxd as Dylan Clarkmore. And you can find me as at D-I-E-Z-Y-N, Deason. So that's where I uh, generally rate, sometimes review some of the movies that I've seen that are not on Canadian Netflix. Mm -hmm. And that's where I usually say which weapon I enjoyed seeing get smashed into someone's head. Perfect. Most in the movie. (laughs) If you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways that you can do so. Uh, you could start by heading over to iTunes or whichever podcast platform you prefer and subscribing so that each week's episode comes straight to you. While you're there, you can drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. It also really helps us get our podcast noticed by other people because then we get pushed up in the ratings. So if you like us, you can you know help us out a little bit by pushing us up farther in the ratings and maybe telling a friend or two. Absolutely. That's the best thing that you can do is telling people about what we are doing here so that they know about it. Uh, The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore, and the theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the Netflix podcast, and be sure to join me here next time for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet. (laughs) 